As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. It's going to be a weird one. We're recording this after the USA's 2-1 loss to Trinidad and Tobago in the CONCACAF Nations League, a result which sends them uh, to the semifinal on aggregate and also qualifies them for the Copa America. So an embarrassing loss that also means they got the minimum job done. Like I said, it's going to be a strange episode. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me this evening, I've got a man who loves an away game in Trinidad and Tobago. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. I mean, who doesn't? Nothing bad ever Me. happens there, and it's always so much fun. What's there not to like? I don't understand. Yes, I'm excited to talk with you. I enjoyed your pregame and postgame shows with our guest still to be introduced. <laughs> Joining us, we have a fellow who skipped his co-ed playoff to watch this game, and his team subsequently won. David Goss, have you been holding the squad back? Is that what we learned tonight? I don't love a game in Trinidad Tobago, and I don't love this show, and I mm-hmm. don't like the service we're playing it on. So I'm going to punt my microphone out of this stadium, and then I'm going to scream at you, Taylor. I dare you to kick me out. I dare you. And here's a yellow card for you, and a yellow card for you. Let's oh, start with really? the obvious. A yellow card? <laughs> Let's start with the obvious. On that note, Sergio Des gets the strangest, dumbest red card uh, I think I can think of. It colors most of this game. There are strong, but other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Vibes around this game, Joe. I think you were frustrated the other night that Dest uh, wasn't able to have more of an impact on the game. Are you now regretting that you weren't more specific about the type of impact you wanted? Yeah, this feels like it's on me in a, in a weird way. <laughs> I think I left the door too open for Dest, and he just sort of waltzed his way right through it. I think Waki tweeted out, and for folks who don't know Waki, uh, he does some incredible videos around the USMNT on social media. I think he tweeted out something to the effect of, I got to give Des credit. You know, there's not many players who are weird enough to do what he did. Something along those lines. That is the Serginho Des reality. I I can't believe that this happened. So there's so much to get into here on just this one play. I swear we could do a 45 minute hour long episode just on this. We won't because we're merciful, but we could and just know that this Des sequence is absolutely insane. I've never seen a red card like this in my entire life. It's It's a set of double yellows, as we've already sort of discussed in our David Goss parody play. Dest is high up the field in one moment in the first half, and he thinks he's been fouled. He ends up going down, 
doesn't end up with the ball. He thinks he's been fouled. Very clearly, he's upset about that. The ball ends up coming back the other way. The U.S. are in possession again. The ball comes over to Serginho Dest on the right side, and it rolls what the referee deems to be out of bounds. And it looks out of bounds enough to me. It's not certainly worth making this big of a fuss over. And Dest just kind of loses his mind. He points back up the field towards where he was brought down earlier and is covering his mouth so that you can say bad stuff because there's no other reason to cover your mouth. It's either secret stuff or it's bad stuff. And in this case, you don't need to tell the referee secret stuff. So it's bad stuff. He's yelling at the referee. Gio Reyna is one of the players coming to try and pull him back. <laughs> Gio Reyna. Like, let, yeah. gosh, you made that point in our postgame show. Let that sink in for a second. Gio Reyna is trying to hold him back. Other players are, and they're not like physically like tossing him away from the referee. But Des is also not being confrontational. He just isn't shutting up. And he keeps doing it. At some point, he punts the ball in the stands very early on. Ends up yelling at the referee for so long that he gets not one yellow, but two. And then goes around and yells at his teammates. Yells at Matt Turner. We got a nice lip-reading moment there. And is sent off and now misses the semifinal in March for the Nations League. I I have never, in all my days, seen anything like this before. And I have no idea if you guys have either. How much of the strangeness about this moment is that it's Serginho Dest, who I would argue is one of the strangest players on the team. He's one that, despite how many games he's played, despite his high profile, I feel like I know the least about as an individual. Like, I, I made the joke about the Jordan Bulls thing, uh, mostly because that feels to be like one of the main things that stands out, aside from like he can pop up on a random street corner at any given moment. I do think it being Dest versus like if Jedi Robinson did this, I would have thought like, oh, he must just be having a bad night. Like that's sort of uncharacteristic for him with Dest. It's more of a is is that uncharacteristic? I, I don't know. Sometimes he seems to get angry. Sometimes he seems to have no emotions at all. I, I feel like that it's Dest makes this all the more confusing. I think he eats a full baguette every day before games. That's not a joke. I, I think feel like other I remember players, that too. Yes. Other <laughs> players have said that everyone knows when you come downstairs, Serginho Dest has his full baguette. Ready to rock. Uh, yeah, he's a bizarre character, but it's a bizarre moment. It's a bizarre moment because there is no other party causing chaos. Like, he is infuriating himself <laughs> throughout the whole thing and just keeps going and going and going. But on the Serginho Des point, Paul Carr's fact is Serginho Des first USMNT player with an assist and a red card in a game since Serginho Des versus Mexico yep. in the Nations League semis earlier this year. And he is the first in the modern era since the 1990 World Cup, which on the men's side, pretty much that's the start of soccer restarted. Dest is the first USAMT player to get two red cards in a calendar year. Gus, that's a very interesting stat. I can't get over the fact that you were eating strange noodles before we started recording. Now you're blaming baguettes for this situation. How much is the anti-gluten lobby paying you? And do you feel like it's enough? I honestly don't even have a response. Right <laughs> That's how strange of a game it was. <laughs> so this red card also is worth spending some time on because it sort of changes the entire understanding of the game in my mind. And it doesn't let people off the hook. It doesn't entirely explain it away. But I think what I was struck by was how positive my notes were about the United States up until that red card. Not just because of the goal. I felt like they were very lively. I feel like they were much more engaged than they were and much more like ready for things to go wrong. It seemed like they were the first to loose balls. They were first to 50 fifties. They were first to second balls. There was much more intensity there. There was much more fight and spirit there, maybe because they expected Trinidad to be a little more open. And then after that red card, so much of that intensity seems to have dissipated. And then the sharpness that went with it, there's a lot of errant touches. There's a lot of misplaced passes. There are players miscontrolling in that second half. And there's just 
a lack of a response. Uh, so much so that I really expected Berhalter to make changes earlier, like the 55th minute. Instead, it's the 64th, I think, when we see our first mm-hmm. one. And that one is is sort of like for like or more like for like than I expected. So I think the major talking point will be and should be that desk red card. But I still think there are things that we learned in a positive way from maybe the opening 20 minutes or so or 30 minutes or so, and then some things we learned in a negative way thereafter. Yeah, there, there absolutely are still things to take away from this game. It just gets harder, right? Because playing soccer with 10 men, and this kind of applies to the first game too, just a little bit less so because of how Trinidad and Tobago played in that match where going from 11 to 10 didn't drastically change their approach. In this game for the U.S., it really does change your approach to the point where when there's 10 players on the field, you kind of can't learn nearly as many real soccer things, right? The biggest thing that, Goss, you and I talked about in the BR pregame show was Berhalter's wild card that he pulls out of his back pocket for this game, which is starting Ricardo Pepe and Florent Balogun together. And in almost any other reality, we would have already talked about that. Like, we would have led with that in the lineup because that was the most intriguing tactical thing it should have been. The most intriguing part of this game, it should have been the biggest talking point from this game. And so Gino Dest goes and, and does the genuinely unfathomable. And it, it doesn't seem like that's going to have long-term repercussions for him. There's a quote from Berhalter after the game that says, quote, he made a dumb mistake. He knows that. He apologized to the team. And we move forward. Now, Berhalter also made a point to say, we had planned subs that we didn't get to use because we had to make this sub with Gio Reyna coming off and Joe Scali coming on in the first half. And then Trinidad and Tobago score a couple of minutes later. So you lose momentum, you lose continuity, you lose like a bunch of the real soccer stuff all in this moment when Des sends the ball into the stands and then just can't shut up afterwards. That's a huge issue for this team. It's not likely going to be one that has major issues and a huge ripple effect going forward. But in terms of Berhalter and his coaching staff's ability to identify things in this game that you want to learn from, there are some, just not as many as there would have been if this game had gone almost any other way imaginable. I think it's it's big of Berhalter to make that statement that soon after the result, even if there are still lingering feelings. And I'm sure there are because that was an intense moment and there were some words exchanged. Uh, but I also think because maybe this is taking it too far. I welcome you all to agree or disagree. But I saw a lot of people saying either Des should never wear the U.S. jersey again, which I calm don't down. agree with, that he should be suspended for a year. He should also be suspended down. for six windows, whatever. There was much frustration with him. And a lot of that was aggressive, but some of it was rooted in the idea of if CONCACAF can do this, if a, if a relatively unimportant game, he can, he can have this boil over. What happens when you go up against CONCACAF teams that are going to deliberately frustrate? What happens when you go to Copa America where players are going to do that deliberately and do worse to you? And I do feel like if you're Greg Berhalter, if you, if you bring Dest because he is one of your best players or one of your best players in that position, it's totally understandable at the same time. If that happens again, it's an easy thing to knock Berhalter for. Like, see, he didn't learn his lesson. It's another red card for Dest. And in that way, I feel like that's where I would be really frustrated as a coach, not just for the individual moment, but just for the unnecessary talk that will then come about. Or not unnecessary, but the talk that wouldn't have been there otherwise and now is. So to me, I think that is a slightly positive response from Greg Berhalter, who I did not think had a particularly good evening other than that, maybe. Uh, but that is the other sort of distraction that I see this being is how it impacts people's understanding of Berhalter, the coach and his decision-making process. I don't know that there's a ton he can do going forward. I think you're right. And like, this is an issue. And if it continues, then it's a bigger issue. And if it's a bigger issue, it is something that affects the way you choose your team and the way you choose your roster. 
I don't know that we're there yet, mm-hmm. but I think that goes to how odd the moment is of like, I walk away from the last World Cup being like, I didn't really know what was going on with Giorannis. Like there is the potential that there is more mm-hmm. going on under the behind the scenes than what we know. And if that is the case, and whether it comes out or not, that will affect how much Dest is a part of this team. From the surface of what we know, I don't think this was drastic drastic enough to say, this guy's not part of our program anymore. This guy's not part of our team. And with any player, there's the good and the bad that you're judging with them of why you're going to bring them into a team. The good with Dest is obvious, right? His skill with the ball at his feet, the high level he's played at over the course of his career, what he can add to the team. If the bad is struggles in these moments and we don't trust him mentally to be Mm -hmm. on the field for us, that might be overwhelming. That second half hadn't really been part of the conversation in the past. And I think it's fair to say it could become part of it. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, if Gio Reyna is part of this team, (laughs) then Sergio Dest is part of this team. Well, and the other, the other point on that is like somebody raised this point in the, in the BR chat. The U S doesn't have enough depth to be like holier than thou. Right. Yeah. Like they don't they don't have the audacity. They don't have the ability to go out there and say like, oh, Des, like you really shouldn't have done that. We can't we're not going to call you in anymore. We're not so, going to rely on you. I understand this is the second yellow, the second red card that Des has had in a, in a big CONCACAF moment this year. I understand that. But if you're still choosing between Des and, and I'm saying this as someone who thought he was very poor in the last game and wasn't like, you know, all that dangerous at times in the past as well. But he was just still so clearly the best option in most situations you, you really can't afford to say, all right, we got to kick you to the curb for a while. Yeah, I don't know if I agree totally there. I, I think if it's so bad that you think it is an issue, then like you have to have a standard and not to oversimplify the sport, but like a right back's not going to change your reality. So, yeah, maybe if it was Musa or maybe if it was Giorina, it would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't totally agree on that. I just don't know that we're even close to there yet. Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with both of your points there. I think Joe is correct that we don't really have the luxury of kicking death to the curb because we've got five other very, very good right backs who can do the same thing. I don't think we have anybody who can really do the same thing as Dest, especially in that right back spot. So I think for that reason alone, it's not worth parting ways. And then I think also... If it had been he took a swing at Tim Ream when Tim Ream gets in his face or he took a swing at Matt Turner yeah. or, yeah, or it's it a little bit of a different f- story. Exactly. Then I think there is a we've crossed the line here that's difficult to come back from. And I think there are players who have maybe done that. Cough, cough, John Brooks. Uh, but it doesn't feel like Serginio Dest. And I'm not saying Brooks took a swing at anybody, but it does seem like there is a line where you can be on the outside looking in. But I think it does take more than what we saw this evening. And I think like we've all played in games where maybe somebody loses their temper in a moment or something boils over or whatever. And you want to see better composure. You want to see them be more professional. But at the same time, these moments happen. It's just how you how you go on from there. But I wouldn't mind seeing some more people challenge him for uh, that starting position. And maybe some people raise their game. You all also had an interesting conversation in the post game about when will we see him next? And it doesn't sound like he's going to be punished fully. But if you are in the March window, let's say, when you're preparing for the semifinal and then if you win the final, knowing he'll be suspended for the first one, do you call him in to then start in the final? Or is it sort of a, here's your punishment for that red card, you miss both games? I was of the opinion that that could be a place to say, you let us down 
you cannot be part of this game. I have to prepare, if I'm Greg Berhalter and his staff, I have to prepare this camp for right-back options that aren't you, and maybe that is an opportunity to to give what, if you want to call it a little bit of a punishment, if you want to call it a chance for reflection. If you look at the course of the season and he's playing a ton of minutes, maybe it's a chance to rest even for him. I think it's fair to to make the point of like, you will have to bring other right backs. He cannot play in that first game. So you are already set up to not have him a part of your camp. And maybe if you feel like that's what the team needs, then that's the opportunity to do it. I think it would be awkward to do it around any other camp. Like you're not going to not bring him in for some group of friendlies because he's suspended for the Nations League semifinal. I think that sort of gets a little bit wonky and weird. Yeah, I just think we should do Taylor's thing of just has to come to January camp as yeah. punishment instead of saying you can't come to a camp and yeah. say you have to and you're going to have to be okay with that. That is the obvious solution here. There was a time period when they also had to like drive their own vans to practice. So yes. Des should have to drive all of the vans. He drives one, think, he jogs back, drives the second. I don't think people want to be in the back of the car that Des hey, is driving. That could be fun. You don't know. You don't know. Maybe uh, and maybe you make him jog alongside the man. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's fine. Um, it's not fine, but it's fine. Uh, I, I think I think at the end of the day, Berhalter coming out and saying he's apologized, he recognizes he made a mistake. I think that like if you if you bring him into the next camp, it doesn't feel like it would be a you stepped over the line, so you now need to sit out, and we're going to do this without you. It feels like serve that one game punishment, get him back in, and sort of move on with the program and hope it doesn't happen again. So. I think we'll continue to talk about deaths throughout this episode because I do think there are moments that require it, like Trinidad's equalizer, which I would argue comes from Dest getting that red card. But why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break? We'll come back and talk a little more about the lineup, about the uh, formation and the tactics right up until that red card occurred. And then we'll see where we go from there back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're talking about the USA's 2-1 to loss to Trinidad and Tobago. Again, a loss that sees them advance in multiple ways. It's a very strange result. Uh, Joe... Slightly strange to see the U.S.'s formation in this one. You talked yeah. about it earlier that it would be the talking point had things have gone differently is that we get Balogun and Pepe starting alongside each other. We got a 4-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-
right? Where they're in the same space and that can create really good opportunities. But the moment that I highlighted is the 29th minute. Luca De La Torre is driving forward into space. The strikers just don't really know where they're going and they're not on the same page with each other, number one, and they're not on the same page with De La Torre. Now, I'm going to put some blame on De La Torre here because he kind of runs forward like a chicken with his head cut off. He does a lot of good stuff beating the first line of pressure, but in this game, there was a several moments where he looked out of control to my eye, but Balogun doesn't know when to release him behind. Pepe tries to come like a cross to make like a left-to-right run across De La Torre's path and behind Balogun, and it just doesn't work, right? It looks uncoordinated, it looks unrefined, and Fair enough, right? Game one of ever doing this, it's not going to be beautiful. But you know, those are those are some of my thoughts on this pairing. Ultimately, I like to see a bit more of it, but I don't also know that it was a a home run in this first attempt. Goss, does that vibe with how you're feeling about that partnership thus far? Yeah, it's it's tough to take it away. It's tough to figure it out when the game couldn't play out the way you expected it, and I was surprised that they stayed on the field after the red Agreed. card. Um, Joe seemed to sort of feel like, and I don't think you're wrong, Joe, in that this is what Greg Berhalter came into the game to see. And so he didn't want to walk away from it so soon. But whether you want Reyna on the field or not in this moment, I'm surprised that you don't add another body into midfield in feeling like you still have to replace Dest with another right back that you leave two forwards up there. And they didn't get service after that. They weren't really involved. I could see the idea of if Trinidad and Tobago are going to push numbers, we can then have two players to counter through. It didn't really happen over the course of the rest of the game. And I don't really knock them for that or, you know, expect much in that moment anyway. So it's going to be hard to sort of take a lot away. But as Joe said, I, I thought there was those few moments where they didn't know how to play together, where they made the same run. Um, and if you can start to work some of that out, I think it can be successful because when you look at the goal, as much as Alvin Jones slips, it is that you have to account for two legitimate threats in the box. And that was something that Jedi recognized and opened up for him to be able to score the goal on the far post there, where when you look at back at the last game, outside of one scooped ball from Weston McKinney for Tillman on the far post, there wasn't really any moments where there was threats on, on aerial balls, whether it was crosses or balls over the top. And so like that is an element of the game that the U.S., wasn't able to have over the course of the first game that they now add in the second game because you've got two guys who you have to account for, who you have to battle with, which allows both Brendan Aronson, who I thought picked up a couple second balls, and Jedi Robinson on the goal to take advantage of. Yeah, I think I think I would. I feel like I don't know that I learned enough about that partnership or how they work to say, yes, let's definitely do it again, or no, let's definitely not. I think I'd err on the side of, we didn't see enough of it, but we saw some flashes, so let's roll it out again against the right opposition. And We can talk more about that, because I felt like the way it was rolled out, the way this approach was uh, like put into play was to be more ball-dominant, to be more aggressive, to have more of the ball higher up the pitch, and to win it back higher up the pitch. What I take issue with, and this is a thing that you all already mentioned, is the idea that it's Gio Reyna who comes out when Des gets the red, uh, when that change is made and Joe Scali comes in, and not one of Pepe or Balogun. And I understand the idea that like you want to just keep going with that since that's the main thing that you were trying to kind of experiment with, at least with the starting 11. But at the same time, 
there's just certain things that can't be the same, especially on the defensive side. You can't press the same. You don't have the same ability to cut off certain parts of the pitch because you're playing with one fewer players. And I think I would have understood more if he just had to say it was looking okay. We got to make this change. We're taking off an attacker to put on a defender to give us some more kind of solid four four one shape, and and away we go. What I then moved to is is that almost a reason to knock Burhalter because it felt to me like he thought they're not really going to threaten us Trinidad even with a man advantage. We will still have opportunities. We'll still be able to create and play our game, and then that is not the way it goes at all in my mind. So I almost think there's a level of arrogance there of assuming that it will be fine. And you kind of get punished for it. Not fully, but I would say a two to one loss uh, is not a great look, even with 10 men. No, it's certainly not a good look whatsoever for the United States. And, and the fact that they ended with 10 men also plays into that. What I will say is we learned after the game, and I didn't know this during the, the quick take post game show. Giorena was going to come off at halftime. That okay. was decided. He comes off a 90 minute performance, which is not something that Giorena really ever does. And so instead of making a sub to bring off someone else to then bring off Gio at halftime, the obvious thing to do is to pull off Gio Reyna. So I I don't think there's any way with that context now that you can ding Baralter for that change. Cool. Uh, That being said, five changes, you go into halftime. And I think the biggest thing I would ding Baralter for coming out of this game, I don't know why I chose that phrasing from you to continue on. You just loved it so much. You loved it so much. Loved a big ding. Um, (laughs) It is the first 10 minutes of the second half, right? Because the final six to 10 minutes of the first half, yeah, the red card causes chaos. You're on the road. The game's against you. Trinidad Tobago scores a goal, maybe even a goal you feel like you could have closed down, whether it's CCV or Turner. That happens. You then had the break. You had the break to settle down. What are you going to do? How are you going to close this thing out? How do you settle your team down mentally? and tactically to come out in the second half. And Trinidad and Tobago came out and jumped on the U.S. in the second half. Now, the goal only gets scored because Alvin Jones and Chaos and Voodoo and, and all the things that and have Matt to happen. And Matt Turner did a bad thing. I want to acknowledge, right. as a Matt Turner stand, he did, he did a very bad thing. But the flow of the game did not look like the U.S. was capable of dealing with it. And then I thought Malik Tillman was a really good substitute and helped readjust the flow of that game in the 65th minute. But those 20 minutes in between, that's what I would knock Burhalter on in that he was not able to help his team get through the moment. A really good substitute? A, a really good substitute. I thought he changed I, I thought he changed the game. In terms like of the number of that were on the field, he definitely did. He rocked yeah. his world. <laughs> I mean, in my note, my, my biggest note in the second half is Tillman presses Trinidad and Tobago into giving the U.S. a corner for literally no reason, and it kills two and a half minutes in the 70th minute. And I, I don't think Trinidad and Tobago had a chance after that. So right. the Malik Tillman effort points yeah. were at an all-time high. You're right. I, I am painting with an unfair brush because you are talking about the individual player. I am talking about the substitution itself because for him to come in, that was where I thought, okay, now we're going to get the four four one, and we're going to have just more stability, two banks of four. We're going to make it hard. Well, and then he continued to do roughly the same thing Ricardo no, Pepe No, Tillman played deeper. It was a four four one at that point. He is not... It was as, a little as, bit of both, if we're I being it honest. A little bit of both. It definitely was a no, little bit No, but he was... Both. When they were against the ball, he was sitting in as the as the fourth midfielder on the right side. So he... And he that's where he was able to Here's at least... Here's the thing. 
I know, you, I know what you mean. And he did do that more often. But like, there is literally a moment when Kyle Martino says, oh, Malik Tillman is finally doing the right mid. Oh, no, never mind. He's staying higher because then he would move further forward in those moments. It felt like he was being asked to do two things at once, which maybe I should then give him a little more credit for being able to do that. But I, again, I think it's just for me that there wasn't the, the reaction after going at the very least two to one down where you, I think it could have been a, you know what? We're just going to make sure we are extra safe in how this plays out and that it's two to one and then Trinidad immediately have a counterattacking opportunity that they could have easily scored makes me feel like there were there were some risks that didn't need to be taken that were taken on the evening. But again, it's hard to really draw any strong c- conclusions from this one because the ultimate conclusion is don't lose your mind, punt the ball away and then scream at the ref and get a red card. And we don't really have to have a lot of these conversations. I do wonder if the conversation in amongst the coaches was mm-hmm. like, up 4-0 on aggregate, they yeah. were in a better spot to try and score more goals than to try and shut yeah. it down. Yeah, which is understandable. I think it just it always makes me uncomfortable when there is, I would say, a slight element of disrespect to that decision making. But when you're 4-0 up, maybe some of that disrespect is earned. I also think not having the context of Giorena coming off at halftime, Joe, that is important to know because where I was coming from was that they, I felt like, made it explicitly clear that he was not on any sort of minutes restriction. There was no load management. We could get a full Gio Reyna. I still think it makes sense to then have him play a full game and then 45 minutes, even with that being the case. So that does make more sense then. It just still feels like we're going to make the change we were going to make anyway, and then we're going to play the way we were playing anyway. And it should be fine with them having just conceded a goal. Yeah, outside of fitness and injury issues, I'm almost never in favor of taking Gio Reyna off the field. Even though he doesn't bring a ton of defensive mobility, he brings defensive value because he can keep the ball, right? He can hold the guy off. He's strong. He's also technical. And so he brings defensive value by moving the ball into places where the other team, even if they win it back, has such a long way to get to goal that you get defensive bonus points from that happening in the first place. So I'm almost never a fan of Gio Reyna coming off the field. I understand the decision as long as it was made for medical reasons or whatever it is, right? I also understand it to an extent when I think there was merit in keeping on the two strikers. Aronson had the, the significantly worse game of those two players, though. So you can look into all of those things. You guys are talking a lot about the defensive stuff from the U.S., which... I guess doesn't fully surprise me because Trinidad and Tobago were much more dangerous than they were in the first game of this series. And they were more dangerous than I expected them to be. They still weren't like dangerous, dangerous though. You know what I mean? So the the first goal that they score comes off of one of the best through balls that I've ever seen. I'm not even trying to be hyperbolic to like drum up my take. It's an unreal through ball from Alvin Jones, the legend himself. Aronson is, is not right up in his grill, but is closing him down and he waits it perfectly in behind the back line. It is an unbelievable goal from Trinidad and Tobago. CCV doesn't cover himself in glory. Rion Moore you know, wins the physical battle. But that is a difficult finish after what is an almost impossible through ball from Alvin Jones. That's the first thing. The second goal from Trinidad and Tobago is just like the flukiest goal that, that has ever hit the back of the net, right? Matt Turner whiffs. He makes a meal out of it. Alvin Jones has his TNT at home against the U.S., you know, special cereal this morning or whatever it was, right? Like those things just don't really happen. And then the other best chance of the game for Trinidad and Tobago is the blown corner kick assignment from the U.S. And I I will give them credit for this and I will ding 
to use a David Goss-ism that I'm now attributing to David Goss. I will ding the U.S. on this. I hate you. He loves it it so much, guys. I can tell. It's it's, uh, a corner. CCV is up. The the U.S. center backs are high up in the box. Joe Scali is the lone defender back. And Jedi Robinson has a chance after the U.S. take the corner to keep the ball pinned in and to pin Trinidad and Tobago in. Instead, he can't win that header cleanly to win the ball and push it back upfield. And Trinidad and Tobago run right past Joe Scally because he's not fast enough. And he's in a difficult situation. It's not all Joe Scally's fault. It's more think, Jedi Robinson's fault. Go to ahead. give him a little bit of credit, I think he is trying to track where the ball is. as And so he kind of faces up to the ball while trying to track his runner. And in that exact moment, the runner then makes a run behind yeah, Scally. Right. So now he sort of is very much ball watching but I think trying to do both at the same time, but now he's ball watching, having to turn and catch up to a person who's already right. in a full sprint. It's going to be difficult. It, it is a difficult moment, like I said. And I, I think Jedi is is more at fault for that. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. Kyle Martino was talking about this on the broadcast. And again, Trinidad and Tobago had some opportunities, but like, I, I don't think the U.S. ever truly felt threatened by them because the times that the ball was in the back of the net, they didn't know what hit them legitimately. The other times when they could watch the play unfold, they, they weren't all that dangerous. So for me, the bigger takeaway was not about the U.S. defensively. I'm not worried about Matt Turner. I'm not worried about really CCV losing a lot of those physical battles. It's more about the fact that the attack is just still so blech in environments that are not favorable, right? It's Aronson as a depth option looking very poor. And there are so many examples I could go through, but I've been talking for forever, so I'm not going to. But somebody else can if they want to. I've got it in my notes. Aronson was poor. Pepe and Balogun weren't involved quite enough. Reyna was good, but he wasn't on the field the whole time. Jedi Robinson was sloppy in possession. He scores a goal. Credit to him for that. Really good performance in the final third in this window, outside of some bad crosses and some of the small stuff. But he's not good in possession and wasn't pinching into midfield very well in this game. I, I don't know. For me, it's much more still the depth and some of the attacking problems that plague this team and that concern me moving forward i want to respond to the defensive side of things and then also talk about the attacking options let's take a quick break we'll come back and we'll do all of that and more back soon this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more head over to michelobultra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. We are going to now respond to Joe's four-minute, I think, monologue. But, you know, that, that's that's a shorter monologue on, on this show. So it's it's totally forgivable. Joe, two things on the defensive side that I would note – I think one of them applies. Uh, the first one would be the goal uh, is a good indication of, I think, what Trinidad was trying to do. And it's a thing that many people, but Joe, I know you have talked about being concerned about is Tim Ream's mobility or lack thereof, especially with Jedi Robinson trying to get further forward. It felt to me like they were basically trying to draw the United States out and then targeting that space. And in this case, Ream is maybe pulled over a little bit too much. CCV then has to make that run. I don't blame him as much for it, but it does feel like 
it was a thing that they were paying attention to. I think Jones tries to play this ball at least two other times in the first half, one before and one after the goal. Um, and then the other thing I think that is worth noting there would be that I am of the opinion that it's immediately after the red card. It feels to me like they had just adjusted to basically a 4-3-2 with Brendan Aronson moving more central. Joe, you said he doesn't get fully in Alvin Jones's grill, but he gets close. And the reason why he is only close is because I think they've just had to adjust their shape. So that is one where maybe CCV could have done better. Maybe there could have been more intense pressure earlier, but I think a lot of it is that red card. So I still think it goes back to Dest. But then I saw the U.S. just get sloppy and slack. And there's another moment in the 45th minute when Joe Scally has a hospital ball that's just intercepted. And that's the one that's played through. And I think it's James has it bobble up on him the last minute. Reem is there to sweep up and nothing comes of it. But it was a really clear opportunity. And one of the few times that I think the U.S. was maybe thankful for the quality of the pitch. So I don't think that there were glaring defensive problems or huge issues, but just a lack of sharpness and a lack of attention to detail that I really think kept coming back as an issue on the evening for the United States. So that's my thoughts on the defensive side of things. Uh, I turn it to Goss to agree or disagree, and I turn it to Joe Lowry for rebuttal. Yeah, I think, Joe, on the attack, fair, right? Like, the complaints are fair, the issues are fair. Again, we didn't see a ton over the course of this game, but they created, the U.S. created a ton of chances. Brendan Aronson was at fault on three of them, I believe. In the first half, the big one being in the 15th minute when Reyna cuts in and lays it in for Aronson approaching inside the box and Aronson chooses to snap at it with his right foot rather than let it run to his left foot. That's a shot from inside the 18 going towards goal. That should be a goal and Aronson had two other chances that fell to him as well or that he could have set up Bolligan but chose to shoot himself. But I think over the course of 40 minutes, they scored a goal, they created chances and my assumption would be that that was going to continue to an extent over the course of the game, especially as Trinidad and Tobago had to push forward. I think I said I, I thought the U.S. would win 2-1 coming into it, and that probably was going to be close to what happened if Serginho Dest doesn't lose his mind. So I can take it with a grain of salt there of, of a little bit. Um, I think the defensive issues at times worry me more, and this was one of those games where I come out, and I, I don't feel super strongly, but I said this on the BR post game of like, I think there are Tim Ream games, and I think there aren't Tim Ream games. And unfortunately for him, away at, in CONCACAF is not one of them that he fits. And that's what happened at the beginning of World Cup qualifying. And then he basically got left out of the team because of that. And I think that's wrong. Like, you have to understand his skill set, the value he has in the team, and when to use him rather than saying, oh, if he has a bad game, he's out and he can't get back in. And then he did at the World Cup and he's been back in since. But it just felt like another moment where in games where the U.S. is going to dictate play and he's going to organize and it's going to be controlled and he's going to manage rest defense, those are Tim Ream games. In games where the game opens up and it's more end-to-end and there's going to be opportunities to have to defend 1v1 in space with guys running at pace, he's just going to struggle. And he struggled with it in some more contained moments, and he struggled with it in some of the bigger moments, including the goal. I did like that, though maybe he's a little bit slow to pull Dest out of the uh, the the conflict, as it were. Uh, from that moment on, uh, Reem was very quick to be like, hey, shut up. Hey, stop talking. Hey, get yeah. out of there. Like, I feel like he was he was doing a good job of policing uh, because maybe he didn't expect Sergio Dest to lose his mind. But after that moment, maybe he was worried that other people might. So I still enjoy the leadership side of Tim Reem. I was excited to get another full rep, even if it wasn't the personnel I expected. Uh, but again, 
it's marred by that by that red card. I have another question for both of you about the the attacking approach, the formation itself. Berhalter has previously talked about how like the system creates the opportunities, the system creates goals. And I'm loath to go back into that conversation. Other than that, this approach did feel like with some of the limitations in personnel that you talked about, Joe, that it felt like it was meant to be, let's get two strikers central so they can play off of each other. Let's get two like energetic uh, like like players who can be wide but can move central. Let's get both of our fullbacks very advanced. It felt like it was designed to really quickly become like a 2-2-4-2 two, two, two almost or like just getting numbers further up, being really aggressive. And I like that. I feel like that's where the goal came from is, is Dest being higher up the pitch and then staying higher up the pitch and getting a ball and putting in a good cross. Uh, and it's a great header at the back post from Jedi Robinson who makes a really smart run. It felt to me like the the setup was working and was allowing the U.S. to be a bit more aggressive and a bit more do- ball dominant and just a bit more uh, adventurous. I don't I don't know. I, I want to take it one way or the other. Like, I don't want to sit on this mm-hmm. fence, but it is awfully comfy up here. My seat's <laughs> nice. It's got a little cushion on it. I, I don't I don't know. Like, I, I don't think we got quite enough from this look. For me to feel confident about it uh, one way or the other, mm-hmm. I don't think it was a bad approach necessarily from the U.S., but I'm hesitant to call a goal that's sort of like a hopeful cross towards the back post that Jedi does well on, but I'm hesitant to call that the direct byproduct of the tactical change that Berhalter made in this game. I know there were some things that I really liked about where I think this approach with the 4 2 got the U.S., right? I think it got Gio Reyna playing some really nice through balls to Dest on that right side. I thought those two players were working well together with Balogun and Musa drifting over. You know, usually it's it's Wea and Dest that are sort of the fun side over on the right. And without Dest early on, and without Wea, excuse me, early on in this game because he's injured with Juve right now, I thought having Reyna on that side, which is not something where he was consistently over on that side in the first game of this window, having him over there and having Balogun as the more energetic combining of the two forwards along with Dest and Musa drifting over there, I thought that was fun. And I, I liked that group of players getting to work together. Um, but outside of that, I thought the left side was was fine. But Jedi had a bunch of turnovers in this game. 18th minute, bad touch, gets lucky with a, a bad touch from Trinidad and Tobago after his bad touch. 23rd minute, poor cross. 38th minute, poor cross. 28th minute, excuse me, 28th minute was a nice action to, to Aronson. 31st minute's another turnover. Then you have the counter issue in the 60th minute. He was a bit of a black hole outside of the the goal, which, you know what? If that's the trade-off, every game in Jedi scoring a goal like that, I'll shut up. I don't know that that's always going to be the case. But he and Aronson, I thought, were poor. So I kind of end up going back to what Goss has said now you know, uh, on a couple of different things. I, I just want to see more of this look. Or if it's going to get a fair chance, it's going to be with Christian Pulisic on one side and or, or Tim Way or whatever, right? It's going to be with something closer to the first-choice group, which is why I think it kind of ends up with an incomplete. But I think going back to your original point and tell, I think something you were touching on, like it is positive to see that the first idea after someone gets hurt or is unavailable isn't just who is the closest like for like in the pool. Cause that's what it was for the first four years. And like, I don't think national team managers should have second cycles. Like I think there are a lot of issues that have been proven around the world, but the hope would be that we're moving forward. The base is pretty strong. And so I think it's interesting to see in this game, both to cover for McKenney and Adams and to cover for the loss of Wea and Pulisic, the idea was different. 
and that option B and C isn't who are the like for like changes for option A, but what is the skill set of the pool and how else can we play to maximize that going forward? And so I think that's from a base idea of like just Burhalter going for that. I think that is an exciting part of this game and this camp is stepping away from just who are the Pulisic, Adams, McKenney like for likes going from one, two, three, four, five depth chart to, okay, if this player is missing, what are the attributes that we want? And then how can we change the team? What are other pairings that look good? Who are other players that are successful together and look comfortable if we have to pull one out? Do we pull yeah. two out and move things around? I think there's a lot of things to play with, especially for a team that's already qualified for the World Cup that they are trying to do well in in two years that you have some wiggle room to work with that. And I'm, I come out of this camp at least excited to see that Burhalter is, st- is taking a step towards that. Gus, is that a benefit of the second cycle then that like now we know sort of there aren't like for like replacements. So this is what we have to do when some of those players aren't involved. Is that him knowing the pool and thus being able to adapt? Or is that what any coach would do in this situation? Well, I don't think any coach would do it because he didn't do it in the previous cycle. So yeah, maybe that's, but I think that would, any coach would have to make the same assessment themselves. And I would assume a lot of them would come to that point over the course of the window. And I thought Peralta was slow to do it in the first cycle. So yeah, I guess that's a positive of the second cycle. Said emphatically and with belief. Thank yeah. you, David Goss. Um, I have another question for both of you. I'm not sure if it should be who or how many players. I will go with who. Who are you most comfortable with if the challenge is from the from the U.S. pool, if everyone is fit? Who are you most comfortable with if they have the ball, they have to get past the defender? Who do you think is most capable of doing that 1v1? Okay, I'm going to be a super big nerd and push up my glasses. What What's the context? Is this a 1v1 out wide in the <laughs> final third? Or is, this, or is this like a drop a Starting shoulder, beat a guy wide. in the dribble? Uh, wait, what was in the midfield. second thing? In midfield. Sorry, I was, I was going to finish that. Is this like Musa dropping a shoulder in midfield to beat a line of pressure and, and break into the attacking half? Or is this, you know, Christian Pulisic, just as an example to set the scene, driving by a right back 1v1? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's, okay, let's say starting wide, anybody could start wide, and then moving into the half space, moving towards the middle of the pitch for an attack, and they've got a defender sort of there sp- splitting that difference that they've got to get around, get past, to then either play like on the overlap into the channel, or to drive more centrally and get a shot away. Who do you most trust to get by that defender? I'll go first. Let's do a draft, Goss. Can I? Can we do a draft? I'll go first. I always you go second. lose. See, I, no, no, no. I, see, I suspect there's, there's there no are way to maybe, win and lose. I suspect there are maybe two names that you all will say comfortably, and then okay, it gets so a lot hazier. I'll start with Christian Pulisic. That yeah. feels like the obvious one. I'm not sure that's the right first pick, but it is in the top two in my mind. It's it's the one who is most likely to try to do it. For I feel sure. like, and so therefore, I give him that credit, even if I'm not sure his success rate is always 100%. In fact, I'm sure that it's not. Before I'm Goss goes, something I, that- I also love that I have no clue why we're doing this, but I'm so into this exercise and I want to play this game Because forever. it annoyed me. It okay. annoyed me how many 1v1s they weren't able to execute, how often the U.S. lost when somebody tried to stand somebody up and just got the ball poked away or lost the ball entirely. Brendan Aronson has one where he just gets fully he stuck. He <laughs> ran into the defense. Yes. Can take the kid out of Philly, but can't take the Philly yeah. out of the kid, oh. baby. And so I'm just I, I do feel like this is something that I don't always give Christian Pulisic credit for. I feel like at times he's too inclined to do this. And yet in this window, I've come away thinking, is he the only guy who can do it? So I'm wondering, now that we've named him, 
Who are the other ones? Goss, and Joe has frantically one. pointed to David Goss yeah. because Reina would be pick. number two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Reina was in my top three Those as well. Those are my two. Serginio Dest is my third, right? Yeah. I think if there's any other player who's going to do that. Now, the problem with Dest is that his final action. That he punts the ball away is, when he gets angry. He's a really good <laughs> that punt the problem? to Rosie. That's the, that's the biggest problem. And even when it's not that, it's rarely something yeah. as incisive as we think about in that game against Costa Rica and World Cup qualifying at home in the U.S. or a, a, in Europe, I think that game was against Jamaica, maybe late in 2020. Yeah, like it was a that, COVID game. That was an incredible banger from Sergio Dest, and those don't come around very often because that's just how the sport works. Kicking the ball in the back of the net is really, really hard. Dest, though, I think is is really the only other guy mm-hmm. that you feel great I, about, unless Goss has a wild card fourth pick that he's pulling out of his pocket. Well, the wild card would be Wea, which is it's not his game, yeah, but he recognizes the moments where he can. And he has a combination of touch and then strength and IQ of like when he gets his angle, he can hold his defender off and make a play from there. Yes, one thousand percent. And Taylor, I love now that I'm I'm fully you know in, in on this mm-hmm. brainchild. I love this exercise because it does illustrate how few of those players there are in the U.S. pool right now. And again, the pool is still very young, even though Polisic, McKenny, like these core guys that have been around ever since the failure in Trinidad last time around or just after in Weston McKinney's case, like they're not young anymore. Like they're fully in their prime. Your birthdays are coming up. Like these guys are turning 25. They're, they're veterans at this point in the grand scheme of things, certainly in the U.S. pool. They're not babies anymore. But it, it does point out that even with a young player pool, with the next generation, obviously, here's how this works, being younger than those Polisic and McKinney guys. That's how time happens, folks. Like It shows how, how difficult it is to go out there if you're the U.S. and find depth. Like, I talked about this after the first game. I wrote about it for Backheeled, and people yelled at me for it all day on Twitter. You go through and watch that game. Was Kevin Paredes good in that game? Was Malik Tillman good in that game? No. Was Brendan Aronson good tonight? No. Like, these players have not elevated their games to the next level. And that's fine. They're young. There's time. I'm not blaming any one of them in particular. I'm not saying that they're going to be a failure, that they're not useful players in certain contexts. Of course they are. But it illustrates very clearly this exercise and the tape the last 180-plus minutes shows... But the U.S. is still searching for difference makers. In basically every part of the field, it's very, very apparent out wide, though in this window in particular, because Pulisic and Weah are both missing. So, for either of you, does this not then, because what Joe said I think is correct, which is there are very few players that can take defenders out of the game and break structure individually. It leans into what Greg Berhalter says, which is the system creates chances. I would agree with that, except that we saw a number of individuals try to do it and fail tonight. So I agree with you. I don't think it is the the main way they want to attack. But I would equate it, Goss, with like uh, in the NFL, if a running back has has like found some space, he's gotten through the line, and now it's just open field ahead of him, and he has one linebacker who who is like desperately trying to make a play, and then the running back is away. And with the U.S., it's like three out of four times that linebacker somehow takes the runner down, and it should not be that number. And so I think you're right. The system is often the playmaker, but there are moments when when you're playing against a, a very compact team or a team that is is trying to be very defensively sound and maybe you've caught them in a moment of transition. I think you have to be able to beat that one guy yeah. to make the dominoes continue to fall. And as soon as you lose it there, as soon as you get stuck or even as soon as they just put it out for a throw in or whatever else, it just breaks that down. It takes away that momentum. And also when you have a player who can beat somebody one v one and they do it once or twice in a row in the in like 10 minutes. There's going to be a fear there. There's going to be a, we got to double that guy up. We can't let that happen. Oh, no, he's on the ball again. What do we do? And that creates its own uncertainty. And I think as long as you are 
predictable in how mediocre you're going to be in those 1v1s, I think it really limits the unpredictability you can benefit from. Yeah, and this has been the U.S. pool forever, right? Dempsey did it a little bit. Landon could do it in his way. Oh, man, that's a bummer of a realization. (laughs) Beasley had his moments. (laughs) Yep. John O'Brien had his peak for a half second. Like, the nature of the, the U.S. pool has been this. Now, there's hope that there are other players coming through who are capable of it or can do other things. It is one of the reasons that I have kind of wanted for this particular pool to have moments where your line of confrontation, your pressing shifts the game in a similar way so that it doesn't require having a player do that for you because it isn't going to happen. So how? what are other ways for you to change the spacing, to change the momentum, to change the structure of the game to help your team? Now, set pieces is supposed to be a big one, and it has been at times in this group, in this team, what Joe mentioned, what, five years, six years? Um, right with Weston McKinney, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, all these other players, Kellen Acosta, but it hasn't been reliable as well over the course of this year. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent correct. The set pieces thing. I want to go back to one, one quick thing on what you're talking about in terms of the defensive stuff, the line of confrontation, like one way to get around some of the attacking struggles and the lack of attacking difference makers when you're missing them in particular is to drop the line of confrontation a bit deeper. And the U.S. did that even from nil nil and one nil U.S. in this game. They were playing in a mid block like they defended in a four four two mid block. The difference was they just weren't super dynamic. Luca De La Torre has no bite in midfield. He is like a, like one of those dandelions, right? You blow on him and he's just like completely vaporized in that part of the field. The U.S. had a hard time winning the ball back, frankly, in this match with Musa and, and De La Torre as the double pivot. But in general, I think it's a good idea. The problem is against Trinidad and Tobago, even in a game where they're down three goals before the opening whistle, they just still don't really want to do that. Like they don't want to play into it. So against better teams, and we saw this some of the World Cup, we've seen this before, the U.S. sitting a bit deeper and then going forward in transition, I think can get around some of the lack of, of playmakers, but then, of course, you always run into a moment where you need them, right? So there's a, a balance there. On set pieces, because this is one thing that we haven't really talked about Can I just say, this window. before we go to set pieces, yeah. uh, to put a cap on it, I do not love that I am comforted by the argument of like, yeah, but we've always sucked at that. But like, <laughs> it is a comforting argument. I'm like, yeah, I guess that is the case. It has always been a rough spot. So maybe now we have one guy who could do it, maybe two guys, maybe three guys. Let's make it four and five and six, and then we'll see where we go. So valid points all around, fellas. Joe, let's talk set pieces. Yeah, so on, on the set piece front, it's been Gio Reyna taking them all window long, and Brendan Aronson then took them when Gio Reyna was off in this game. And it has been so much better for the United States and Christian Pulisic. Now, it's not like they're creating chance after chance after chance. But the deliveries and the quality, they're at least ending up in dangerous areas, right? They're clearing the first man. They're getting into an area where a U.S. attacker or or defender, whoever's in the box, right, has a chance to actually make a play on the ball. Like, this has been, I know what that sounds like, the lowest of low bars. It is. It is. is. But Christian Pulisic has been terrible oh, at taking man. set pieces for this team for such a long time. At the World Cup, I, I was going back through the, the backfield archives the other day, and I, I saw a headline that I completely forgotten about this article. I don't even remember what World Cup game it was from, but it was like, set pieces are an issue for the U.S. They're still a problem. Christian Pulisic could not serve a, two dangerous balls in a row into the box, and Giorena can. And again, the bar is in the basement, and Reina has crawled over it because it's that easy. But the deliveries are actually dangerous. They are putting the U.S. in some good spots. And that is a meaningful change for this team. The real question is, when March comes around, it's the Nations League semifinal, and Giorena and Christian Pulisic are both healthy, knock on wood, whatever you want to do, and they're both in the lineup. Who's going to take them? 
And at that point, if it's Christian Pulisic, I might bash my head into a wall. But I, I, you never know. And it seems like based off of actual on-field evidence and using our eyes, that Giorena is a real upgrade for the U.S. in that particular phase of the play. Goss, how do you feel about that one? I ask, well, I give you a moment to think about it. I ask because I can't tell if you are looking at something else or if you just have the most intense listening face. But the whole time Joe is talking, Goss is looking off mic with a very like furrowed brow. And I, and I can't tell if you hate whatever's on the it's television the or if you are just very focused on what Joe is saying. Uh, no, I was watching a little American football while uh, while Joe was talking. I was wondering if that's what it was. Yeah, um, <laughs> no one cares what my fantasy team's about to be nine and two. So, oh wow, congratulations! Thank you. It means a lot. That means a lot to me. Actually, <laughs> It's really important to me. I, yeah. Also, because I'm not super moved by this. Like, this is we still talking about the the football or no. the soccer? Okay, this cool. is one of those conversations just where we're at right now, where it's like Joe is correct. But having the guy clear the first man and having no danger and like no, it didn't feel like any real success in like organized set pieces and plays after that. I don't walk away from this camp being like, oh my God, the US is such a threat and we're back because it didn't feel like there was a ton of organization after that ball was served in of like where it was supposed to go, who was making runs. The US wasn't really a threat at any point over these two games offset pieces. So that. I was borderline neutral and then watching that. All right. I'm pretty happy with Gio Reyna as our set piece taker and our corner taker, uh, if not the current uh, scoreline of the NFL game. Uh, gentlemen, any other things that we should address, discuss, haven't yet gotten to? Joe has a finger in the air. Take it away, Joe. Two quick things. Just one more time on De La Torre. This is becoming a theme for him, and I just want to note it. Like, I'm not trying to you know, be down on, on Luca De La Torre, but it's been multiple starts away in Nations League in CONCACAF where he has really struggled to contain any anyone coming through midfield. In this game, it was a real problem for him. Just so, so light in the 28th minute, he lets Nathaniel James coast right past him. Trinidad and Tobago then get in the final third, and they get across into the box. Against Trinidad and Tobago, that's fine. Against almost any other team above them in the FIFA rankings, or at least you know somebody near the U.S., that is a legit problem. And it wasn't in this game, and he skates by because we don't tend to watch defensive stuff as closely as the attacking stuff. That's just human nature. But it's worth noting. And so I just wanted to do that here. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we have not, I don't think, spent quite enough time on Matt Turner's thing, probably because oh, none yeah. of us believe it's a real issue moving forward. Just like I would say the death thing is probably going to get buried and it's it's going to be okay. Even more so with this Matt Turner thing. It's a free kick from Alvin Jones because, of course, it is. He knows his range. And it is, it's a, a terrible attempt at a save from Matt Turner. It's up in, in sort of to Matt Turner's right, but it's not upper 90 in that corner. Turner, it, it takes a little bit of a dip, and maybe Turner gets a late read on that dip. But he gets contact, like solid contact with the ball, and ends up just deflecting it into the back of his own net. It's not own goal material for Matt Turner, but it is a, a, a incredibly savable shot from Alvin Jones that just does not get saved from Matt Turner. And that's not something that happens a lot, but... It's a problem. So I'm not especially worried about it going forward. But again, it's one of those things that's worth noting because it, it, in this case, it doesn't happen a ton. And if it starts to happen, then we've got a, kind of an origin point. I do also think he... Oh, Joe, are you okay with a goalkeeper should have done better? Or do you still reject that? I mean, I, I, I'm not against the phrase should have done better. Like mm-hmm. I, you can look at it and say he, he probably would have done better in that situation. The reason why I don't like it when commentators say it for attackers is because it makes it sound like scoring goals is the easiest thing to do mm-hmm. in the world. Like it assumes that like, oh yeah, he should just score all of his shots, which is obviously not how it works. 
That's fair. I, I do think there is at least some argument that Turner could, could have done better on the For equalizer sure. as well. That oh. It's not just that it's near post. It's just that the the angle seemed gone. The field wasn't very great. And he is beaten near post. It's over his shoulder. I just think maybe his angle was a little bit wrong. I mean, given that he didn't have very much to do in the first leg, maybe he just was like still shaking off the rest a little bit. But I, I would agree, probably the weakest performance I've seen from Matt Turner while wearing a U.S. shirt. I will say he bounces back by making a pretty big save a few minutes later, and he does it in a way in which he pushes it past the attacker, and like that's a massive moment for the team. When was that? All right, now you got me in my notes, and I don't know where my <laughs> notes are. I have, I have a oh, couple 65th of sixty-fifth minute. Sixty-fifth yeah, minute is a good yeah. save in, from Matt Turner. Yes, yeah. that's in my notes, as well. oh, and yeah. that comes after the two goals. And so, I think even inside the game, he he bounces back, and it is a moment. I think it's a moment of madness. Yeah, maybe okay. the altitude is different in Trinidad and Tobago than all of us ever thought about, and no one ever figured it out. And the ball carries in ways that just. U.S. goalkeepers can't deal with, but I do think for right now it is one moment in time and not a trend to worry about. And I, I, yeah, go go ahead, ahead, Taylor. Okay, I I was was going to make a joke and it wasn't going to be funny. Go ahead. (laughs) I I loved it. I just I'm going to assume. Thank you. Uh, On on the first goal, Turner Turner's technique is wrong here because he slips, and I think it was Kenneth Seiden who pointed this out in the BR post game. Turner tries to plant his left foot to get power to extend up. And it just kind of like collapses under him. He just can't get solid contact. It's I don't know if it's cleats or, or what the issue is, but that doesn't then allow him to extend up in the way that he needs to to deal with that shot at the near post. It's a rocket, but Turner maybe gets there. Like his left hand is pretty close to making solid contact with the ball. And because he can't power upward, I, I do think that hurts him. So maybe to your point, Taylor, and I hadn't noticed this so much before, maybe there is a little, you know, again, a gossism, a little ding on that for Matt Turner as well. But again, I think we would all probably agree it's been much more good than bad with Matt Turner. If this becomes a pattern, then it's a legit talking point going forward. I'm getting dinged. How getting am I dinged. getting dinged? I don't know, man. Ask, ask, consult your own terms. I don't. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> because you're watching a football game while we're talking. I think that's a reason for dinging. And then I've it's also the holiday season, so ring-a-ding-ding. There you go. Let's <laughs> add some more. Uh, Gus, any other final points from you? Nothing big stands out. I, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really established themselves, took more minutes over the course of this window, did anything that overly impressed. I think for Pepe to score goals, that's good right now. He's not starting. Like He pushed, I think, Berhalter to give him the start in the second game. I don't think it was a great window for CCV, and there wasn't really that much for him to do, so I don't think that's a positive coming out of it. Um, I, I think he was, he was one of... I thought he was, he was good to dominant in the first game. I think that he's involved in that first goal. I mean, I think just that like he didn't let anything happen. And I think you could see he gets that one where he gets absolutely trucked by a Telfer. I think it is. Uh, And that felt like very much a, you do this with the entire first game. We're hitting you back. Uh, And I like that he does kind of present that strength in aerial ability and aerial challenges. But aside from that, I don't think he loses the 50, 50 on the goal shoulder. shoulder. Yeah. So if if you're going to be the strong guy, you can't lose the 50-50 in the big moment. He does run down, um, I believe it was James, on that counterattack. And he commits to the play, which saves Turner from having to to take the 1v1. So he had fine moments. But I think overall, he doesn't come out of this camp as a winner. I don't know that a lot of people do, outside of maybe Reyna. Um, and 
I but the U.S. Might, is going to yeah. play in the Copa America for the fourth time in my lifetime. They're going to do it here in the U.S. They're going to play against potentially the World Cup reigning champions and some of the best teams. It is the most important step towards the 2026 World Cup. So to have accomplished that already over the course of this cycle, I think is pretty. it's pretty mm-hmm. big. It's going to go under the surface because I think it was assumed for a lot of people. And then the death stuff is the story coming out of the game. But the biggest thing that could happen for the U.S. this year was to play in that Copa America. Agreed. Agreed. So we end on a slight positive. Uh, I'm glad we talked this one all out. Uh, If you are a person who watched this entire game and you're not actively recording a podcast or you weren't being paid to watch it for whatever reason, you have my respect, my sympathies, but also my respect. Uh, So thank you for watching this entire game. Thank you for listening to us break it down. And uh, Joe Lowry, David Goss, thank you all for breaking it down multiple times uh, tonight. I really enjoyed the postgame show. Y'all y'all killed it uh, and spent the appropriate amount of time talking about death and then allowing for other conversations. And I feel like we did the exact same thing this evening. So, David Goss, thank you again, my friend. Concacaf Nations League, there's nothing like it. <laughs> that, at least not right now. Uh, and Joe Lowry, thank you, my friend. I think I need a nap. I think I need a long, <laughs> long, 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 long nap. All right, so... Uh, Joe and Goss are going to go nap and not think about this game anymore. Listeners, you all should do the same because it's reviewed. We figured it out. It's all solved. No more questions can be asked. We'll talk to you again two more times this week before we take the rest of the week off for the holidays. Talk to you very soon. 